infused with the scent of potpourri Filled to commit to memory Crossing the felt ropes Watching from home on my TV Looking at all my eyes can't see They tell me I view obsessively Hello and welcome to The Obsessive Viewer, where a movie and TV podcast that covers a specific topic, be it genre, trope, movie, or show each episode. You can find more of our work at obsessiveviewer.com. And while every episode will always be free, if you'd like to support what we do here, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer for tons of bonus audio content, including TV and book reviews, immediate reaction movie reviews, Patreon potpourri episodes, movie commentary tracks, and much more. Um, as well as early access to content. Um, we, yeah, uh, we just did a little chat with Sam, our guest, which I'll introduce here in a second with my voice cracking. Um, that, uh, we talked about rom-coms and 2001 A Space Odyssey, you know, the the quintessential rom-com 2001 A Space Odyssey. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I am your host, Matt Hurt, and you can find me on social media. That includes Letterboxd at uh, at Obsessive Viewer. And today on the show, we're closing out to th- uh, tw- the year 2022, 2022, with a look at the 10 best films, according to the Indiana Film Journalist Association, which I've been a member of since 2019. And joining me today to run down that list is returning guest Sam Watermeyer, whose work, including a very great a uh, wonderful review of The Whale can be found on Midwest Film Journal and whose Letterboxd activity can be followed at letterboxd.com slash Sam Movie Man. Sam, welcome back to the show. How are you doing this evening? Thank you for that warm welcome. I, re- I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am <laughs> quite well because I am on uh, The Obsessive Viewer. Oh, nice. Uh, w- which is always a joy. Nice. An honor, an honor, really, <laughs> um, uh, to be a guest on. Well, thank you. I, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm very pleased to hear that. <laughs> yes, I'm very pleased to know that I have tricked you into believing that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, so yeah, I we're here at the end of the year. Um, it, this is a special episode. It's the I think. Technically, it's maybe the first time I've done this where I'm we're just talking about the 10 best films of 2022 from the IFJA. Um, but it's kind of nice because you have made several appearances on the podcast this year, um, including the first episode of this year, aside from the year in review episode, which is traditionally our first episode of the year. But you were on for the Matrix, Matrix Resurrections uh, review. So it's nice to bookend the year with having you on the show. Um, and thank you again for your time. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Happy to be here. Yeah. And so what we're going to do is the way that the IFJ um, awards kind of play out is that we have a best film, a runner up, and then um, in addition to a bunch of different categories. But for the best film, we have one film, the runner up, and then eight, uh, eight entries that are collectively our 10 best movies as voted on by the IFGA. Um, so we're going to talk about that, but I want to just kind of... Bend your ear a little bit, Sam, and uh, and ask uh, how your year has been with movies and everything. And also, if you want to share kind of your history with the IFJ, you've, you've been a member, I believe, much longer than I have. So 
Uh, what's your history with it and how was your year? Um, yeah, I, uh, let's see, I was inducted in 2014. Nice. Um, I didn't get to vote on that year's awards, but, um, that was a great year for movies. Mm. Um, the big ones being, uh, boyhood, uh, whiplash, uh, fox catcher, um, life itself, the Roger Mm -hmm. Ebert documentary, which was my, which was my favorite movie of that year. Uh, so I've been a voting member since, uh, 2015 and, um, Basically, I got in based on my work for the Film Yap mm-hmm. and uh, Nuvo mm-hmm. News Weekly, which um, you know was kind of big in its day. It mm-hmm. it's, has evolved over time, and it's no longer in print. But right. it was kind of the like hipster um, uh, weekly uh, newspaper focused on arts coverage and Mm -hmm. um you know it had kind of a a liberal bent to it Mm um but uh let's see oh uh my year in terms (laughs) of watching movies um this was a cool year because um i i got some uh cool opportunities to uh see a few films in advance um, uh, yeah. like uh for the whale um mm-hmm. i got to attend a pretty exclusive screening um that heartland had at uh newfields uh the toby theater at newfields nice um they were screening it really to consider it for the festival mm-hmm and in, and it was just me, the artistic director Greg Zorvig, and a few other staff members, and uh, that was especially cool because that movie didn't really, and it still has played its uh, cards pretty close to the vest in terms mm-hmm. of marketing. Yeah, um, there was really only one image of Brendan Fraser that um, was revealed before its release, and um you know not much was written about it so Mm. i i really had no clue what to expect going in um and that just really uh that film just really bowled me over and getting it getting to see it in that exclusive way Mm. was um kind of perfect because the movie itself makes you feel like you're kind of eavesdropping on people and kind of getting this peek at their lives that maybe you know uh, you're not supposed to see. Um, but, uh, so that was a cool opportunity. Um, and then, uh, I really didn't, uh, I feel bad cause I, I missed a lot of movies that, uh, other IFJ members, uh, championed during the year, but mm-hmm. I feel like I saw enough. I mean, oh, yeah. enough, uh, enough to make a top 10 certainly, yeah. but, um, I oh got to see the Batman early as well. <laughs> yes. I, I geeked out over that mm-hmm. as a Batman fan. Oh um, yeah. So uh and I feel like of... we were like the two members of the IFJA, it seemed like where 
we we were both floored by the Batman. You were on to review it with me on the podcast too. Um and like yeah, it's just I'm that's one that I kind of I want to make sure I kind of uh have time to kind of revisit before the end of the year, but um maybe I'll watch it tomorrow. I don't know. But anyway, um yeah, it's it's really good. Yeah, that was really exciting. Yeah, at the end of the screening, I was exhilarated. Yeah. And a lot of other members were were not happy with it. <laughs> right. Um and I, I think at one point as they were uh arguing about it, I said something <laughs> like, uh, you guys are bumming me out. I'm going home. <laughs> um uh but uh that's fine teach yeah. their own yeah it's fine they mm-hmm. can be wrong right um <laughs> but you know getting to see that early was cool um it was at least like a month early i think yeah it was pretty early um it was when was uh i'm not gonna bother um yeah it was it was pretty early i just remember that i I got to the screening almost like I I got in just as like the Batman like screen was on like like it was like right I as I was walking in I saw uh Riddler looking across the street at the at the uh was it the mayor um uh the guy's uh, like penthouse apartment or whatever um and then um I went home and uh i took a shower that day after the screening and lost my balance and fell out of the shower <laughs> and oh, no. yeah like to the ground like fell like i i i had a very big bruise on my arm and then uh there was going there was another screening there was a second like advanced screening and i was like i'm going to go to that one too and i was going to have tiny be my plus one we were going to go went and like i got into a just very 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 minor uh like fender bender um on the way there (laughs) oh no yeah and like it was like it was like they just tapped the back like like uh, the car in front of me had had stopped abruptly i stopped it was rainy the car behind me stopped a little too late and they just hit the hit the back of the car and then like we both got out and then she's like uh, like I looked and like her front end was like all damaged and I'm like, okay, I don't know what to do. And she was, she was, I was like, uh, it looks like you got some damage there. And she's like, oh no, that was there before. And then I was like, okay. Oh, thank God. Yeah. And like my car was fine. And then she like, I was like, so what do you want to do? And she's like, do you just want to go? And I'm like, yeah, okay, let's go. Bye. <laughs> so yeah, but I couldn't make it to the theater for that. So, so the Batman is cursed. Yeah, maybe you shouldn't watch it again. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> you're pushing. Yeah. You're pushing your luck. I am. <laughs> uh, but yeah, but anyway, other other movies and experiences this year that you have. Oh, um, yeah. I guess we could have brought this up later, but I'll just go <laughs> ahead and mention um, my friend Joshua Hull's movie, yes. Glorious. Oh, came yeah. out this year, and um, he co-wrote it. Mm-hmm. and was it was basically his baby um mm-hmm. from the beginning and it went through some changes but he was he stuck with it um you know through its production nice and to its final product but um seeing that come out and get the response it's gotten was really yeah. exciting and i'm just really happy for him um 
you know, that was going to be a little indie shoestring mm-hmm. budget horror movie that he was going to film in the back of uh, a brewery and, um, you know, seeing it turn into something featuring an Academy Award winner like yeah. J.K. Simmons was just kind of surreal. Mm-hmm. And there was a special screening of it at the State Museum IMAX and um, a trailer for Halloween Inns played before it. And That's the Halloween so awesome. series means a lot to Josh and just uh seeing that i mean it was like just watching someone's wildest dream come true and that was quite a thrill for me to see um nice so and and it's it's such a strange movie to really be so is. successful like yeah. it's about a it's about a, a kind of lovecraftian creature mm-hmm. who um communicates through a glory hole <laughs> and a rest stop um and you know it's gotten really good reviews yeah um and it's just not a movie that you would expect to be kind of a uh, a sleeper hit mm-hmm. but um it, that's what it's become and that was another really cool experience yeah um yeah i loved glorious i thought it was i thought it was such a blast i wish that i could have gone to that screening but i i wasn't available but i know that you did like a q and a with him right you moderated a q and a I did. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, that was really fun and um, kind of nerve wracking because it was a pretty <laughs> big crowd, actually. Um, nice. And, uh, and you know, it's it was in an IMAX theater, mm-hmm. so that was a little intimidating. But um, <laughs> I, uh, but yeah, yeah, I, I did it. Um, and um, yeah, looking back, this was a pretty good year. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, I'm like starting to remember a lot of cool <laughs> movie related uh, events that happened. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that was definitely one of the highlights. Yeah. Oh yeah. I I don't know Josh personally or anything. I'm I'm friends with him on social media, but um, like I and I've I've said this before, but just like his passion for not only horror but just film in general. And, and horror in general really is like intoxicating (laughs) like to see him have that level of success and everything is just, is, is so cool. Um, Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, and he, uh, I don't know. He, I feel like we're similar in that Mm. I tend to enjoy most of what I watch. Um, uh, and he just seems to love everything and, Mm. and it's really it's really kind of endearing. Yeah. Um, and I think his passion for movies and, and his kind of love for everything comes from being a filmmaker and, yeah. And, uh, you know, kind of struggling on that path. Um, and he, yeah, he's, he's a, he's a real, yeah, he's, he's a cool guy. Nice. Yeah. I, uh, I I had a really quick message from a friend saying that uh, Twitter isn't working for me. Is this it? Is Twitter down for you? Is this it? Is it over? Um, <laughs> but I don't think it is. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, I yeah, and just uh, the thing that I kind of keep coming back to with with Josh Hull's whole career and everything is that he's in Indiana. He's in. He lives here, and he's doing all of this from here, and that's just that's really cool. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, to see the kind of success that Glorious has had, mm-hmm. 
um, which he got to experience from a distance. I mean, mm-hmm. I, uh, you know, he was the co-writer. I don't think he was on the set during the right. uh, production, but you know, how cool would that be to sit here in Indiana and watch, you know, JK Simmons deliver your dialogue. Yeah. It's just, it, it, it's really inspiring. Oh, absolutely. Um, uh, so, uh, that was a really cool, um, highlight of the nice. year for me. Nice. Um, yeah. So we're going to, we're going to talk about the movies and everything that's on the best film list, uh, per the IFGA. But, um, I know that on Facebook you posted your kind of top 10 and everything. Did you want to run down that on the, on the podcast? Um, to kind of give you a, give you an outlet to count down your top 10 movies. Um, sure. Yeah. All right, cool. Yeah. I will yield the floor to your top 10 list of 2022. Okay. I'll, I'll, for, uh, to increase the drama, I'll, I'll go <laughs> 10 to one. Nice. Um, 10, um, uh, is Halloween ends. Um, nice. I just thought I was so satisfied by the end of it. Um, uh, our fellow IFJ member, Lou Harry just released a piece Mm -hmm. on the, the year in film. And Mm -hmm. he kind of went with movies that left that ended perfectly. And, Mm -hmm. um, to me, Halloween ends, uh, is a film like that. Um, Spoiler alert, it closes on a shot of Michael Myers' mask uh, resting on a coffee table as Don't Fear the Reaper plays. Mm. And it's just like such a chef's kiss of an ending. Yeah. Um, And it's for a sequel to be as idiosyncratic as it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, was really refreshing. I mean, uh, most of the movie doesn't even focus on Michael Myers. Oh yeah. Um. So that's pretty bold, especially <laughs> for the concluding chapter of, mm-hmm. of a trilogy to just detour into a completely different direction. Yeah. I thought that was great. Um. And. Uh, yeah, I think that's all I need to say about that. <laughs> um, let's see, nine, uh, the Banshees of Inisherin. Yes, I just the thought of or the idea of a uh movie revolving around uh, you know the falling out of two friends mm-hmm. and for it to play up the the comedy of that the sort of awkwardness of it i thought was just a great concept that i've really never seen before Mm -hmm. um and i know this is uh reaching a bit but i think it's kind of timely um you know we we live in a time where friendships end with the click of a mouse you know yeah. you you unfriend someone you block them and this movie really shows the uh the weight or the consequences of ending a long time relationship in a time when you know we're kind of casually cruel about it um 
So I thought that was uh, interesting. Um, and it's just really funny and, you know, bittersweet. And yeah. I think it's one of Colin Farrell's best performances, uh, as well as uh, one of Brendan Gleeson's best performances. Oh, um, yeah. Uh, so that's number nine. Um, let's see. Number eight is uh, Tar. Um, mm-hmm. I'll save that for uh, the IFJ discussion. Okay. Um, so let's see. Seven is uh, <clears throat> we're all going to the World's Fair. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it was actually... <laughs> uh, it was one of the, the last movies I watched in... Um, our old apartment. Oh, nice. Um, it was like a couple nights before we moved. Um, so I was already kind of anxious, which is a, a great uh, mm. way to feel when watching that movie. Yeah. Right. Um, because it, it's sort of about, uh, you know, online anxiety and, mm-hmm. and, um, it sort of has the feel of a horror movie, but I wouldn't really describe it as a horror movie. Right. It's sort of about just putting yourself out there in cyberspace and, uh, just laying bare your identity as you're trying to figure it out. Um, you know, I think the internet is kind of a terrible place to try to form your identity. Yes. Uh, because of, you know, just the toxicity of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, that's really what the movie is about. Um, it's, uh, I guess you could categorize it as like a, a desktop movie, kind of like uh host or unfriended. Yeah. Like a screen life movie, like searching screen life. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think it's one of the most effective ones I've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that would be number seven. Let's mm-hmm. see. Six um, is bones and all. Interesting. Um, yeah. I, I wasn't that hot on it, but that that's interesting. Um, I just, uh, you know, I thought it was a great uh, road movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a great sort of. Well, I I wanted it to be more of a chase thriller. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, you the characters, the two lead characters are are kind of, you know, running from um, authorities, but they also come across some kind of creepy cannibals who are are really limited to only one scene and i I feel like more could have been done with those characters um yeah but uh i really enjoyed it it's um it's just a really bittersweet um you know beautiful sort of love story and it kind of reminded me of uh, Monster. Oh yeah, that's huh. I I don't know um, why I didn't make that connection, but yeah, yeah. Just you know, it's uh, uh, just in terms of characters traveling through kind of uh, you know America's butt crack. Um, 
and kind of slowly falling in love under fucked up circumstances. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that would be my number six. Uh, number five uh, is Top Gun Maverick. Nice. Which um, we'll talk about, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I saw that at the State Museum IMAX, which was nice. Fucking magnificent. I, I wish I got to, I, I saw it at Castleton in Dolby. So I did get to see it in a premium format, but I really, I wish I could have seen that at the, at the state museum. Cause, oh yeah, that was, that was something else. That was really cool. Um, that movie is just like, it's just so badass. Yeah. <laughs> um, and like, I don't give a fuck that Tom Cruise <laughs> is a weirdo. Oh Yeah. Dude is an action god. It, it it's insane. Like I when he posted the uh, behind the scenes footage of the stunt for uh, Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning Part One this past week, the nine minute behind the scenes video. I'm like, like yeah, I like I posted about it, and I I think I've said this before many times, and I will continue to say this. I don't think there is a a single person in the film industry who is more committed to blockbuster entertainment than tom cruise (laughs) like i don't like yeah he is a he is certifiably insane he has some fucked up thoughts and fucked up beliefs and everything but the dude jumped a motorcycle off a cliff several times in one day just for a stunt in a movie (laughs) like i'm 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 good in that case i'm good with separating the art from the artist or and and everything because holy shit man (laughs) oh totally and like these movies could these action movies that he does could easily rely on uh cgi yeah but he fucking does it for real yes and it's like that's him in a real fucking jet yep fucking flying like I don't know. It's like Top Gun is basically a response to um, CGI heavy movies. And it's mm-hmm. like, this shit is for real candy asses. <laughs> um, yes. It's just like pure badassery. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So Top Gun, Mav- I'm going on a bit of a rant. I'm like, <laughs> I feel like I'm going to rip my shirt off if I go on any longer <laughs> about it. Um Number four is the Batman. Nice, nice. Um, uh, it was actually my my lady Jin's mm-hmm. uh, cinematic introduction to Batman. I remember she had never seen a Batman that. movie. Okay, that's so interesting uh, to me because I know how much Batman as a character is treat. Like I know how much you love Batman and everything. That's surprising to me um, that this was her in- introduction to him on a cinematic. Uh, level well i showed her um the introduction of michael keaton's batman Mm -hmm. and she said his delivery of i'm batman is bad which is so fucking wrong that i'm considering (laughs) getting a divorce (laughs) um (laughs) but uh not really everyone (laughs) calm down um I think this is a really in- interesting way to experience Batman for the first time, though, mm-hmm. um, cinematically. Yeah. Um, to me, it's it's really the only one that um, 
makes Batman scary like he should mm-hmm. be. Um, you know, the there's this great uh montage early on where he kind of explains his nightly routine and how the bat signal works. And mm. you see criminals looking over their shoulders in fear. Um, and I, uh, that's such an awesome introduction to him. Oh, and it yeah. really captures, you know, how scary he's trying to be. Um, and I was just hooked from there. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I, it's just fucking awesome. <laughs> it is. It's, um, yeah. and I'll just, I'll just leave it there. Yeah. Um, let's see. Number, <laughs> where are we now? Number three, uh, number three. Yeah. Number three is RRR. Mm-hmm. I'll leave that for the IFJ mm-hmm. discussion. Um, let's see. Number two is glorious already talked about that mm. and uh my number one is the whale nice um uh no other movie uh lingered with me quite like that one did mm-hmm. um it just uh it, it leaves you with this strange sense of dread and hope um that uh you know just kind of lingers with you for for uh a long time after it's over and and yeah. i think it's uh you know it it revolves around a char- uh, type of character we haven't really seen on screen before mm. uh or at least haven't seen portrayed very sensitively before um and uh you know, it, it's in a single setting and, um, it's kind of, a uh, kind of a claustrophobic chamber mm-hmm. drama and it just, um, I think it's a, I think it's a really unique movie. I, I haven't oh, seen yeah. anything. I haven't seen anything quite like it and I know it's based on a play and everything, but, mm-hmm. um, uh, yeah, the whale's my number one. Nice. Well done. I, and the whale is, it's a shame that it kind of got pretty much completely shut out of the IFJ awards. Um, but it was nominated in, in several categories, but, um, ask anyone online, the IFJ nominates everything, but, um, (laughs) but it, that's a movie that it, it stuck with me and even more so it, it was perplexing to me to see a lot of the negative backlash against it or the knee-jerk reactions online toward it, um, saying that it's fatphobic and that it is that it is uh, gratuitous in its depiction of obesity and everything. And, like, I came away from it just thinking that that could not be further from the point of the movie like it's it's not a movie that's depicting this character it's not it's not nutty professor 2 it's not the clumps it's not uh uh whatever the um uh whatever the movie in in um tropic thunder was uh the i can't remember the one of the like farting character things or whatever but it's not that it's like it is 
like and I've I've kind of screamed into the void about this, but it's it's about a man who is committing himself to this physical prison through this grief that he feels and this just it's it's this mental illness that manifests itself through like in the grief and manifests into this just uh, like the only source of comfort is the punishment that he gives himself in binge eating and everything and like it's just it is it is one of the most tragic and heartbreaking depictions of someone who cannot who who has all of the all of the hope and all of the optimism for the world around them um but does not have anything anything but self-loathing within them and it's it's this incredible balancing act between these two ideas and everything that's brought to life really well by Darren Aronofsky and and Brendan Fraser of course is everything every accolade that he's received has been completely warranted because it's incredible but it's just it's frustrating to see people kind of dismiss it as like oh it's making fun of fat people it's making fun of obesity it's doing this or it just seeing the surface level of it it's just so kind of frustrating and and irritating to me so um well well said and thank you i would say it would only be fat phobic if the characters were constantly talking about his weight. Right. Which they really don't No. Um, I mean, yes, that is a key part of the movie, mm-hmm. but it's about so much more. I mean, it's about, yeah. you know, estrangement. It's mm-hmm. about, um, you know, fathers and daughters. Mm-hmm. It's about, uh, husbands and wives it's about um, intolerance mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, and empathy. And, but a lot of that, a lot of those themes, they're not only filtered through discussions about his weight. Right. Um, so I don't really understand the idea that it's fat phobic. No. Um, and it's all handled with the utmost sensitivity. Oh, yeah. Um, to me, uh, you know, I guess you could argue that the there's kind of a nightmarish binge eating sequence mm-hmm. um, that could be considered exploitative. But, mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like we need to see that on screen because yeah. that happens. Yeah. I mean, and I, you know... I think it's important to see that eating can be a serious addiction. Mm -hmm. It's too often portrayed as kind of a silly thing. Like they're shoving their faces with Mm -hmm. food. (laughs) How how is that any, I mean, how is that any different than drinking or doing drugs? I mean, we need to see that portrayed in a serious manner. Mm. Um, I'm getting so fucking upset. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Yeah. Um, well, to that point about um, about like it not showing it uh, in in a in a comedic way or in a in a even not even a judgmental way even, but uh, like the the go to comparison, and I've said this before elsewhere, but I've said that um, <laughs> like it's it's not like something like a 
not objectively, but a pretty terrible movie like Green Book. Like, I'm not a fan of Green Book. I thought it was crappy. It did not deserve the Oscar or anything. But like Viggo Mortensen takes a New York style large pizza, folds the entire thing in half and starts eating it like a taco. And it's supposed to be a bit of levity and humor and stuff. It's really dumb because that movie's really dumb. But like my kind of my jokey thing is that Viggo Mortensen folded that folded that pizza in half so that Brendan Fraser can put two pizzas two slices on top of each other and eat them eat them at the same time um but it's it's in the context of the whale the whale has a has something to say about it and it is so much more there's so much more context and depth and texture to what the what the entire story is telling and then people kind of lump it together with the kind of Vigo Mortensen folding a pizza in half sort of thing. Like, haha, this person is e- eating something that is, you know, they're binge eating and everything. And it's just like, it's, it's completely different things, two completely different things. And people are kind of seem to be just com- kind of completely disregarding or I- ignoring the, f- the actual point of the whale Maybe because it's about obesity and maybe there's that kind of ingrained uh, judgment toward toward obesity, like because you drew the comparison to like alcoholism, drug abuse and everything like that is something that I feel like there's this level of uh, there's this there's this abject misunderstanding in our society that, oh, Obese people can, can like, why don't they just not be obese? Like, okay, yeah, well, I get that. There are, but there are eating disorders. <laughs> like, there are, like, there are, like, addictions that would need to be, like, it's not as simple as that. Whereas, like, no one would ever say that about, like, oh, why don't they just not do drugs? Why don't they just not drink alcohol? Like, it is a, it is, for some people, it is an addiction. And in this case, the whale, it is the physical manifestation of all of the pain that he feels inside him and the fact that no one can that that certain vocal people um on letterboxd really <laughs> uh choose not to see that is is so frustrating because it's it's magnificent uh beautifully said <laughs> thank you um and um i would add that you know if these people think the binge eating sequence is funny. Frankly, that's on them. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's their problem. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's not a problem with, uh, you know, how that scene is executed. Right. Um, because it's treated as a complete fucking nightmare. Oh yeah. Um, so like if you think that's making fun, of his binge eating like that's your issue right um but um yeah it's just um uh, i mean you know obesity has rarely if ever been portrayed very respectfully right um on screen and um to me the the whale was 
really refreshing in its depiction um, and, you know, kind of restored my faith in humanity a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yep. Uh, very good list. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm really glad that, yeah. uh, uh, that I'm glad to see the, and it's funny cause like as much as I've, I've talked about the whale and everything, I mean, it, I think in my opinion, this year has been really very strong for movies for, for me personally. I've, I've, I've had at times the easiest and the hardest way, <laughs> way of figuring out my top 10 for the year. Um, because there's been just a, a, a bunch of, of, uh, um, very, very good movies this, this, uh, this year. So, um, but the whale, like it's, I, I love that movie, but it's also, it's also like, it's going to be like my number 10, I think. Um, and not for any, any reason against it. It's just this year has been very strong. So, oh, yeah. yeah. Let's see. So, did you want to dive into the the best film list uh, per the IFGA? Yes, please. Nice, nice. Uh, let's see. Uh, so, uh, okay. So, the way that we have it figured out here is that, um, like I said, the the IFGA awards a winner for best film, a runner up, and then eight um finalists to all all told make up a uh, top 10 list for the year um what we're going to do is we're going to discuss the eight finalists and then we're going to do the runner-up and then we're going to do the winner of best film now sam you have not seen some of these movies um full disclosure yeah uh, for I, a listener. Uh, I was a slacker <laughs> yeah it's totally fine uh, it's, it's actually works out very well for me because <laughs> I'm going to be a shameless self promoter. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the movies that we have, we, that we both saw over the year, um, in the finalist list. And for the movies that Sam has not seen, um, I'm going to throw it to a clip of me talking about it at some point in the year on uh, the Obsessive Viewer Patreon, which, again, I'll go ahead and push for it here. Support us on Patreon. We have several different tiers. The $1 tier gets you early access to content and B-roll recordings we record before each episode. And then uh, the $2 tier gets you that, plus TV and book reviews. Um, I think immediate reaction recordings go on the $2 level. Um, and uh, a bunch of other stuff, too. Um, and then the $5 level gets you all of that, plus commentary tracks and Patreon potpourri, which is me talking about several movies all in one go full full length episodes um and then the ten dollar level gets you all of that plus a monthly uh wrap up kind of recording where i talk about my first viewings of the uh, of the month of each individual month and um and first viewings did i say that yeah and stats viewing stats for the viewing and podcasting and writing stats it's it's a fun self-indulgent uh stupid thing that i do each month and then also I uh, play around with the audio equipment a little bit. So you get audio tests at the $10 level. So anyway, all the money goes to pay the fees to keep the podcast running and uh, to feed my cat. So check that out, patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. Um, I'm going to be, uh, I'll be teeing up the recording clips and everything, but as we get to the movies that we're going to talk about and everything, but uh, Sam, I want us to get kicked off with uh, Todd Fields's 
film <laughs> starring Kate Blanchett, uh, Tar. Um, how did you feel about Tar? It's our the first finalist we're covering here on the list. Um, how'd you feel about Tar? Um, I saw it in the theater nice. at the Keystone Art Cinema, mm-hmm. and honestly, I didn't leave with an immediate reaction i wasn't like oh man i loved that okay i i i kind of i was a little conflicted about it um because early on i found the character of lydia tar extremely off-putting and i Mm -hmm. realized that's i realized that's the point everyone calm down i realized (laughs) that's the point it -hmm. still doesn't make it easy to watch her though yeah um you know she is uh very pretentious uh you know she does that obnoxiously throaty pronunciation of bach where it's like (laughs) bah bah um it's like just say bach you fucking (laughs) um uh you know, and uh, it was just uh, like a she's a very specific kind of person that I, after a few scenes, I was like, I really don't know if I want to spend two hours with this character. Like, I can't stand this person. Um, yeah. And again, I realize that's the point. <laughs> anyway, though, you know, as it went on, it. Uh, it turns into this really interesting kind of meditation on uh, cancel culture, um, Mm -hmm. you know, the me too movement. um, And, uh, you know, she, uh, I, I started getting into it as she, uh, is sort of me tooed by, um, her behavior and a Mm -hmm. few things she does uh publicly um spoiler alert there's a uh she near the end of the movie she crashes a concert and Mm -hmm. um you know shoves the conductor off stage and uh that was really interesting to see in the wake of the will smith slap oh yeah wow i didn't yeah that's true and, you know, obviously the movie was written well before that. Um, so, uh, right. you know, it, it's kind of interestingly prophetic. Um, and it has one of the strongest endings of the year, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she is sort of exiled. um and uh she finds herself conducting in um is it it vietnam yeah yeah oh if i'm revealing too much i (laughs) I was just gonna say maybe we can save a little bit uh for for the listeners to to discover but but yeah Um, you don't want me to give away the entire movie (laughs) i mean sure (laughs) okay i'll say this I'll, I'll I'll leave it subtle. I realize I'm being kind of an ass. Oh no, not at all. Um, 
let's just say that it ends with this initially towering figure of Lydia Tarr seeming very small mm-hmm. and it kind of shows the um uh you know the the awkward silence that can befall us when we uh separate um artists from their art mm-hmm. and see them kind of stripped um and yeah i'll just say that i'll leave it there okay <laughs> yeah i i i i i really 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 enjoyed tar i i loved it um and most of all, I loved it for the performance. Clay, Clay, Kate Blanchett's performance was out of this world. And the script is just so tightly written um, in terms of dialogue, in terms of pacing, in, term, in terms of, of general storytelling and everything. But in particular, the dialogue. And the thing that really struck me, and I've talked about this on Letterboxd and on my top 10 list post that it's going to be posting on Obsessive Viewer, but... Basically, uh, what I kind of can't get over is the fact that is is how that opening scene with her being interviewed on stage in front of a crowd and her just espousing about the about the inner like the history of conductors and and like the stuff that she does and everything and that was so captivating to me. And then I read somewhere like someone else's letterboxed review talking about how that's it's a brilliant scene because it's really just, it's really kind of, kind of keying us into the fact that she maybe doesn't really know shit about what she's talking about and that it's more just part of her performance and in her, um, her rise to that stature and everything. Cause it's very much the, the opening of the movie is the interviewer just spouting off all of her accolades and, explaining like positioning her to be like the major force of the classic music con- conductor industry or whatever um and my alexa just went off <laughs> but the uh but yeah it it's something that is is just really really engrossing and then as the movie unfolds and you see her just be chipped away and her downfall it it's such an interesting companion to an extent to um to whiplash from from 2014 um it just feels and consider that that's interesting yeah and like they like they have they have very different endings but i feel like the journey between like the the most toxic characters in both of those movies are is is really really uh kind of tied together to an extent um or they they kind of complement each other a little bit but um but I think that Tar does it in such a way that is very much showing just the how how toxic the toxicity is um and I don't know. I just, I'm, I feel like I'm spouting off some word salad, but it's, it's really, really, um, it's, it's really cool. (laughs) Definitely. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. Anything else on tar? I think we've said it. 
Yep. All right. Well, uh, that is our thoughts on our our thoughts on Tar. Um, this that is the first of our eight finalists in the IFGA Best Films uh, list of 2022. Next up, I'm gonna throw it to a Patreon recording um, where I talked at length about uh, Koganada's film. After Yang. So I'm going to throw it to that Patreon clip. That comes from Patreon Potpourri number 14, which I dubbed Sci-Fi Duos. Um, (laughs) I reviewed After Yang and uh, the, I think, is it Riley Stern's movie Duel? Um, So that was from July uh, 2022. So enjoy this clip of me talking about After Yang and consider checking out Patreon, patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. So here we go. A clip from Patreon. All right, and next up, I'm going to be talking about After Yang, which is written and directed by Koganata, who previously did Columbus a couple of years ago with John Cho and Haley Lou Richardson. Uh, After Yang is based on the short story Saying Goodbye to Yang by Alexander Weinstein. Uh, it stars Colin Farrell, Jody Turner-Smith, uh, Malia Emma Jandrawijawa, Jaja? Uh, Clifton Collins Jr. and Haley Lou Richardson. In the plot summary, courtesy of IMDb is, In a near future, a family reckons with questions of love, connection, and loss after their AI helper unexpectedly breaks down. And, of course, I'm going to do a non-spoiler review for this episode, uh, for this special Patreon recording. Um, So uh, I'm going to go ahead and play a clip from the trailer for After Yang now, and then I'm going to talk about my feelings about this movie uh, when I come back. Come on, Yang. What are you doing? Come on. What happened to Yang? I don't know. He shut down last night. He won't restart. Has this happened before? No. If we can't get Yang fixed, we're not going to buy another sibling for Mika. So, After Yang is the first 2022 release that I've watched this year, in which I rated it five stars on Letterboxd. Um, This movie is incredible, you guys, so much so that it really makes me want to go back and revisit Columbus, because when I saw it a couple of years ago, um, I I thought it was okay, or a few years ago at this point, um, I thought it was okay. I didn't quite get it. I Like, I didn't get, like, the deeper messaging behind it or anything, but after Yang just kind of blew my blew my mind a little bit. It kind of blew my hair back. Um, it's just this incredible um, story about many different aspects of like kind of human humanity. Um, uh, the kind of easy or not really easy, but like the most notable one is grief. Obviously, it's a pretty hot topic in media these days. But the way that it explores grief and how the family kind of reckons with their AI just dying um, is really, really interesting because it from the start, Colin Farrell plays the father, the patriarch of the family. He um, he sells tea. Um, he's got like a tea shop. 
and he is uh, like his first order of business with getting Yang or reacting to Yang shutting down is to try to get him repaired, get him fixed. And they go through this whole rigmarole of trying to get him fixed. And when they realize that they can't, that's when it kind of hammers home or comes down or, or kind of comes home to them that like, oh, they've lost this member of their family. And the daughter, this this young girl, um, uh, is were like has to deal with that and what i really respect about this movie is that it doesn't deal with that it doesn't deal with that level of grief directly it just has that as the as like the kind of normal like there's a normalcy to it there's this underlying thing that yes they need to get yang fixed or uh, like th they need to get yang fixed that is the thing um and what's really interesting is that um they kind of come to realize or at least jake comes to realize that yang was a much more pivotal part of the family and it's not something that it's it's not like he's going through the movie thinking like oh oh yeah well you know this robot uh, crapped out, so, oh well, oh wait, yeah, he was my son, it wasn't really like that, but it's much more subtle and much more, um, respectful than that, and it's more tailored to this humanity in the characters, and it's just so, it's so interesting to me, because there's a, there's a part of the plot, um, I'm gonna be as non-spoiler as I can, I promise I'm not gonna spoil anything too pivotal, but there is an element to the story that involves Yang's memories, and as they are trying to get him repaired, or get him reactivated, or get him whatever, there is an element where they have the opportunity to, um see his memories. Um, it's this whole spyware thing. Also, I really love the way that there's a subtlety to the futurism in the, in the movie that I found really compelling and, and well done. So, uh, there's an element of the story where they can see Yang's memories and it's this kind of, it has the, like this kind of, uh, paranoid aspect to it. Like, oh, they, it's spyware that they are doing for data analytics and everything, like all that stuff. But that's, it's, it's kind of, that's a passing element of the story. But in seeing Yang's memories, Jake gets this new, not even newfound, but it's, it's more like he is exploring this person who was a part of his life and a surrogate son to him, um, throughout, like throughout his existence. And he learns so much about him and it, tells this story of like such an interesting and deep and rich story of a life lived an existence that mattered um that's far more important than you know what the, what the what the characters in the movie refer to as techno sapiens um it's so much deeper than that because this is this is a human existence. This is an existence that has feelings. This is a person or this is a, a living being who has dreams and aspirations. And the way that it, is, it that it explores that is so beautifully done. Um, it's just so beautiful and so uh, just so beautiful. And when uh, Haley Lou Richardson's character enters the picture, I won't give away anything really about her. 
But when she kind of enters the picture and we get to know her, um, it's it just kind of blows the blows the movie open a little bit, and it gives this so- kind of sense of um, of a world like world building without really building much world. Um, like there is like a couple of one off remarks about how. Haley Lou Richardson's character and one of the neighbor characters are different than than Jake and his family. And it just has this kind of deep-seated um kind of anger um kind of anger or resentment through it or prejudice really is what it gets at. And it's just so rich and um it tells so much about it. It reminds me in a lot of in in a in a big way to one of my favorite movies of all time, really, um, her from 2013 from Spike Jones. Um, it reminds me of that movie in several instances because the world building, the futuristic, like futurism and everything is low key and kind of in the background. And what the movie does as a result of having that kind of be in the background is it explores the human element of the story. It explores the humanity of the characters and their experience to tell a story about a just universal human experience, um, several facets of it even, um, through this science fiction kind of uh, framework. And it's just so well done. And the emotion of it is, it just lands so hard and so beautifully. Um, Another big thing about this movie that I absolutely adored was the score. Um, Throughout the movie, the, the kind of the music is absolutely stunning. It is very, very emotionally driven. It kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, the music in Arrival. Um, It just reminds me of, it's it's the kind of score that really helps elevate the emotional aspect of the story. Um and yeah, it's just it's so it's so beautiful. And there's even an element of the story that plays into Jake and his wife, their characters being kind of absentee parents to an to an extent. Like there's a scene where um, where, uh, Jodine Turner Smith, I think, uh, says, says to Colin Farrell, um, we've, be- we've become too reliant on, um, on Yang anyway. So, and we're not going to get a new one, but we've become way too, um, reliant on Yang. And that is evident by the fact that their young daughter um has this has arguably a stronger bond with the AI than she does with her parents and that leads to this just beautiful moment where Jake is watching the memories of like uh, Yang's memories and seeing like his daughter growing up in 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 certain certain uh respects um growing up through the eyes of Yang. And this is kind of compounded by the fact that both, both he and his wife work a lot. And that's, that's where this line comes from, where she says that they relied too much on Yang. (laughs) So with the loss of Yang, they are now finding themselves. And this isn't like a focal point of the movie. This is more just kind of adding, enhancing the main 
the the major themes of the story but a part of losing yang is that they are now interacting more with their daughter and they have a chance to be a bigger part of her life and everything and part of that bigger part of their her life is to kind of help her through the loss of yang and be there for her, for her as she mourns by all accounts a sibling and there's a lot of stuff in this movie as well that I'm probably not the best person to um to dive into but a lot of it is about identity and who you are versus who society deems you to be and who um who you're cult- like culturally who you are so yang is an artificial intelligence an android robot that is culturally specific um it is programmed to it is programmed for families who adopt chinese chinese babies and it is designed and programmed so that the so that the robot can teach teach the child about their chinese heritage so there's a scene where um there there's an incredible scene where uh Mika the the young girl uh the adopted daughter of Colin Farrell and and Jody Turner Smith um where she says to Yang in a in a kind of a flashback and she says she's she's upset because of school and she says that oh yeah um kids at school at recess said that my parents aren't my real parents and then Yang like takes her through like this garden and shows her trees and uh, and shows her like a branch that's attached to a tree that it didn't grow from and how, uh, that is this, like this, this, um, I don't, I don't remember exactly like the words that he used or anything, but it's this, um, technique that's used in gardening and, and used in agriculture, uh, that dates back thousands and thousands of years to like, like China from thousands of years ago. Um, that is a horticultural thing where it, it basically creates something new out of two different things. And he explains that that's what you are. You are like, you're a part of the family. You didn't necessarily come directly from the family, but you are a part of the family. And that is really interesting to me as someone who kind of see like like who has no kind of has no bearing on that or anything obviously as just a white man but i just find that to be really interesting because it's something that is is really kind of just it's it's something that that gives so much texture to the story and gives so much texture to the identity part of the story and another part of that as well, and to a certain extent, is a scene with Colin Farrell um, in the memory talking to Yang and explaining the tea business and saying, like, Yang is asking him, like, oh, you, like, what what drew you to tea? What made you devote your life to tea? Because he sells tea. He's like, well, I didn't really devote my life to it, but I saw this documentary when I was a kid or when I was in college, and it really made me interested in it. And then Yang is like, oh, I have all, all of these facts about tea and everything. And then they both sip the tea because... Jake says that it's said that tea can you like part of the anecdote from the documentary was that he could see um like someone in the documentary that he watched that in, influenced him to go you you know into the tea making business 
um, so that like every step, like like every tea leaf can carry a world in it or something. And so then they both taste the tea to see if they can, you know, feel like anything profound or anything with it. And Jake does it just so gently and so with such reverence. And then, and then Yang reacts to it and says, I wish that there was something, I wish that, I, I wish that there was something more than just facts about Chinese tea in my mind. Like, I wish that I could experience the way that you can, but I just found that to be just so compelling because that's an interesting, that that's such an, such a unique, um, perspective to have because he is a character who is a he's he's a robot he's an artificial intelligence and he recognizes that he can't taste the tea the the way that Colin Farrell can taste the tea and it's just it's so it's such an interesting blend of you know human and what they're calling in the movie is techno sapiens and it's just really really interesting the way that it just plays with that disparity, I guess, or that, that difference between them. Um, and in that same scene, Colin Farrell, um, says that, you know, back in, you know, like tea, tea, um, companies and everything are passed down generation to generation. So, um, uh, you know, I should probably teach you the tools of the trade and everything. And it's just that like acceptance of an artificial intelligence of a robot as his son is just beautiful and powerful and incredible um i just find that to be really really interesting and, and thought-provoking um there was another point that i was going to make but i'm completely blanking on it um i think uh yeah i don't know but um this was just an incredible movie that i'm not prepared to really dive that deep into because it is ser- it is i i watched it i finished watching it about 20 minutes ago and it kind of blew me away. It's, it's really, really incredible. Um, oh, there was, that was the other scene. Um, there was a scene with, uh, Colin Farrell and Haley Lou Richardson where, uh, he's, he's, he's found out that Yang had, Yang had this entirely other life that he wasn't, he wasn't aware of. He had like a, a companionship with Haley Lou Richardson and Colin Farrell asks her, did Yang ever talk about wanting to be human? Did he ever think that he should be like, did he ever wish that he was a human? Um, it's that old, you know, I wish I was a real live boy thing. And what it, what the movie does is so cool because it just spins that on its ear. And Haley Lou Richardson says like, that is such a, that's such a human thing. Like, yeah, this, this creature wants it like must want to be like you. It's so arrogant and everything. Um, like that's the ultimate goal of this thing is to be a human. Like how arrogant is that? And I just love that so much because that's such an easy thing to try to put into the movie. Like, oh, he wants to be a human. He wants to be a human being, but he can't because he's, because of his programming. But instead of diving into that or leaning into that, it just becomes about something else entirely and has all of this depth and richness to it that is just so much more worth exploring because it reflects like the human element, the human aspect of of storytelling and, and the human experience in such a unique and interesting way. Um, so yeah, so anyway, I loved this movie. Um Again, the score was incredible. Um, the performances were fantastic. I, the visuals were just 
jaw-droppingly beautiful. Like this is a this is an incredibly beautiful film. Um, so I definitely recommend checking it out. Obviously, it's available to rent on Vudu and available to stream on Showtime. Um, so yeah, so I'm gonna end this Patreon potpourri here. Okay, and we're back. Um, <laughs> I hope you guys enjoyed that. And then next up in our finalist um, uh, list is uh, Glass Onion, A Knives Out Mystery, which, Sam, you have not seen this yet, right? No, I'm a fucking loser. <laughs> no, no, you're not. Um, I'm very excited for you to see it, though. Um, I, I feel like you'll get a lot of enjoyment out of it. Did you? How did you feel about the first Knives Out movie? Oh, I loved it. Nice. Nice. Yeah, I just absolutely loved it. I mm-hmm. thought it was a blast. So I am mm-hmm. looking forward to this one. Nice. I I think you'll really really enjoy it. Um but I I obviously reviewed the movie um on the podcast and let me see. So I reviewed that in actually I think it was the the most recent episode of the podcast. Um episode 386 with uh our friends and colleagues Andy Carr and Mitch Ringenberg. Um, so check out that review, um, on the podcast, but, um, I'm going to go ahead and throw it to a short, uh, minute and a half clip of me talking about it on Patreon. This comes from, uh, my November, 2022 monthly first viewings and stats wrap up recording, (laughs) which is, uh, I hope that I, I didn't, I didn't check to see how, how this is. This might just be me saying, Hey, check out the review on obsessive viewer. But, uh, this comes from the $10 Patreon tier. Uh, so here we go. My thoughts on glass onion and knives out mystery. Um, and then at number two, I reviewed it on obsessive viewer. Uh, it's glass onion and knives out mystery four and a half stars. Um, Netflix very stupidly just put it in theaters for one week. So now you guys are, will wait until December 23rd to see it if you haven't seen it yet. But I really liked it. I thought the ensemble was fantastic. The uh, return of Benoit Blanc is very much very good. Um, Ryan Johnson and Daniel Craig are an incredible team that I think I would watch. I would watch a ton of these movies if they make a ton of them. I know they're going to make a third one, but I just want them to keep making these movies because they are just such a delight. Um, while the movie does kind of fall into the same narrative tropes and ideas presented in the first movie, it does so in a bigger, more expansive kind of, um, uh, kind of platform, I guess. And as I said in the review on Obsessive Viewer, um, I kind of feel like it's, um, it's like the... The first movie, Knives Out, I mean, that's that's damn near perfect in my eyes. I love that movie so much. But Knives Out is like the family reunion from hell, and Glass Onion is like the high school reunion from hell. So that's kind of the difference of the, of the ensemble uh, characters and everything. And this is a really, it, it's really interesting the, the, ways, the, the ways that it plays with the whodunit uh, narrative and everything. I really liked it. Okay. Um, <laughs> and I hope this isn't too awkward for you, Sam. <laughs> um, no, I'm okay. good. Okay, good. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so I, Knives Out Mystery and everything. Oh, yeah, it's interesting because Ryan Johnson has come out and said that he absolutely hates that it has the subtitle A Knives Out Mystery. <laughs> Um, which I do, I, I kind of hate that too. I, I think it's, it's a little clunky, but I kind of, I kind of like it, kind of don't, but do you have any thoughts on that or? 
Uh, well, I'm not sure why they couldn't. Well, I mean, think about like um, the um, those Agatha Christie yeah movies. Um, like those don't have a subtitle. No. Uh, but everyone knows that those are connected by yeah. the same detective character. So why? Mm. I don't know. Was that a Netflix choice? I feel like it was. Um, I I think so. I, I I really I really think so. But I mean, I I loved the movie. I really did. And I think I came out of the theater. I, I've seen it twice now, and I came out of the theater thinking that I like I I never want Ryan Johnson and um and and daniel craig to stop making these movies because it's it is just absolute gold um it's it's really good not to build it up for you or anything (laughs) but it is the single (laughs) defining film experience of this generation or the next generation (laughs) oh wow (laughs) but no it's really good (laughs) no i i will watch it eventually nice nice um but a movie that you have seen that you did talk about as well. Uh, but let's, de- let's dive a little bit deeper into it. It is, uh, uh, Martin McDonough's. I, I don't know how to pronounce his name. Um, <laughs> the Banshees of Inishirin. Um, I'm going to go ahead and read the plot summary cause I just have it in front of me. Uh, two lifelong friends find themselves at an impasse when one abruptly ends their relationship with alarming consequences for both of them. Um, so I, I saw this movie in the theater. It was the first of a planned, no, it was the second. I don't know. It was, it was, I know, I think it was the first, who cares? Anyway, um, it was the first of a triple bill that I saw. (laughs) I saw the Banshees of Inishirin, Till, and Smile back to back to back. And oh wow, eclectic! Yes, yes, and uh, and then hey, I'll throw out a Patreon um, um, uh, push, but then I recorded a um, uh, a Patreon potpourri where I also talked about the documentary "Hold Your Fire," and I titled it "Hold Your Fire Till the Banshees of Inishirin Smile." Um, so I was very proud of that. <laughs> but the the plugging of Patreon is just fucking shameless. Oh, I don't care one bit. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm just messing with you. No, I know. Um, no, I know. I have a problem. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> but no, the Banshees of Inisherin. It's funny because I went into it not really knowing much about the plot, um, really at all. Like I know that. I I knew that it was reteaming uh, the filmmaker with Brendan Gleeson and Colin Farrell after In Bruges, which I loved, but I don't remember much of because I haven't seen it since probably it came out. Um, so I didn't really know what to expect with The Banshees of Inisherin, but I was very much, very much pleased with it. Um, what did you think in, in more specific words about The Banshees of Inisherin? Um... I loved it. Uh, I, you know, like I said earlier on, I think uh, a movie revolving around, um, you know, the, the breakup, if you will, of two friends Mm -hmm. is, uh, just a great concept. It's just like inherently fun. Um, and I, you know, I don't really know if I've seen anything quite like, um this movie um i it was nice to see him enter somewhat gentler territory after Mm. three billboards um 
which is, uh, you know, kind of a rough, bleak movie. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, I think I think the Banshees of Inisherin, um, you know, uh, is bleak in its own way. Yeah. Um, but um, you know, it, it's cool. It has the feeling of like a folk tale, mm-hmm. um, or. Uh, and just the the setting feels so lived in and and you know the you can really feel the the weight of um the relationships within the village and um you can kind of sense the tension mm-hmm. in in the air and um uh i thought it was very funny it's it's not yeah. It's not like a laugh out loud romp or anything, mm-hmm. but um I, I think it's very funny. Uh I um in in term I haven't seen after Yang, but mm-hmm. I I think um you know it, it's probably one of Colin Farrell's best performances. Um he and Brendan Gleason are just great together. Oh, absolutely. Uh, um, they really feel like uh, lifelong friends, and and um, uh, yeah, I yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I'm glad it's on our on our top ten list. Me too. And when when I was in the theater, and like I said, I didn't know much about it going in at all. Um, but when I was in the theater, when I was in the seat. I was I was sitting there and as it was playing out like and I know that this is probably going to sound so dumb um but just the the kind of um the confidence that the that the film had with telling its story just felt so comforting and so wonderful because it was just so well constructed at at the you know every level really and it's driven by these two just incredible performances and Colin Farrell like again he it is like you said it's what it's one of his best performances and i'm like one of his best performances in the last like 15 minutes too because he has so much going on in 2022 but he he just captures this confused sort of like people call him dull and everything um it's it is it is so uh what's the word i'm looking for it, it not enchanting but like um endearing yeah yeah it's endearing without being obnoxious or it's very understated really and then you also have the supporting performance of um Barry Keoghan which like just blew it out of the water for me like he was he was phenomenal and the the lengths that this movie goes to that it's it goes into this weird like almost um absurdist style thing but still maintaining both the melancholy of the drama and the seriousness of the drama as well and it's just it is such an interesting interesting movie that i really was not expecting uh going into it because i didn't frankly i didn't know what to expect (laughs) but um well yeah it's funny because it's like a um you could easily see it being the concept for like a uh, 
classic Fairly Brothers movie or yeah. or like something, you know, Vince Vaughn and Owen Wilson would do or something like mm-hmm. that. But it, it's um there is a sophistication to it. Mm-hmm. Um I have to share a little funny anecdote about when I saw it mm-hmm. um, afterwards, there were some, some older folks uh, <laughs> yeah. talking about it. And uh, this one lady said something along the lines of, uh, you know, why couldn't they just schedule alone time for themselves <laughs> and, and, and just, you know, break up the time they spent with each other, just like, uh, rearrange their schedule throughout the week and i was like <laughs> yeah that that would have solved the conflict of the movie yeah <laughs> um and that's actually really to sidetrack us completely it's something that i've meant to mention on the podcast before um but it's funny this this is complete this is a complete tangent and everything but that reminds me that months and months ago like it, maybe over a year ago at this point um Tiny, my co-host, uh, he on Patreon, we did we did our B-roll episode and everything. And he was talking about how like, oh, he's a morning person and he'll wake up early in the morning and he'll have a couple hours before work to, you know, drink coffee and watch a movie or watch a TV show or get some work done on a project or something. And it's all like time to himself. And he cherishes that time and everything because he's, he's married and has a dog and everything. Um, and <laughs> he and he refers to it as tiny time, his tiny time because his name's tiny. And so... <laughs> My girlfriend Jess and I have co-opted that name so that when, whenever that's our shorthand for like whenever either of like one of us is just feeling like I don't really want to do anything, I just kind of want to have some alone time. We'll say like, "Do we want tiny time?" And we'll be like, "Yeah, sure." So, so that's our shorthand for that. Um, But anyway, uh, not to say that that would have worked for uh, the the characters and Banshees of Inisherin, but I don't know. I just thought that was. a funny anecdote to share on the podcast. That's cute. I love that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, so yeah. Uh, but yeah, and there's, what's funny is that the Banshees of Nia Sharon has like this, this, that depth to it in terms of the, the interpersonal conflicts between them and the choices that are made and how those choices reverberate and lead to really shocking and heartbreaking in some cases, moments and i i'm too dumb and uneducated to be able to pick up on how that how that plays into the kind of backdrop of the uh irish civil war that is going on in the back in the background of the movie throughout the entire movie but it's something that piques my interest to look into it a little bit more because i have no fecking clue what what that was all about and everything but uh, but yeah, I just think that there are so many layers to this movie. Um, yeah. Um, nice use of fecking. Ah, thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, well done. Nice. Yep. So, so yeah. Uh, any other thoughts on Banshees of Inisherin? Uh, no, I think nice. we said it. Sweet. All right. Well, let's, let's hit the listeners with another clip from Patreon. <laughs> Um, this is, uh, the next finalist on the list of the IFGA top films of 2022 is Park Chan-wook's, uh, decision to leave, which I, 
um, recorded a review of on Patreon for the $5 level. Um, during award season, I do Patreon potpourris that are specialized for four-year consideration movies. So basically, I do Patreon potpourri like the four most recent movies that I watched for awards consideration, I talk about them and then release it on, on Patreon. So that is at the $5 level. This clip comes from Patreon potpourri number 17, in which I discussed Decision to Leave, Goodnight Oppie, Weird, The Al Yankovic Story, and Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. So that was from November of 2022. So here is a clip for, of me talking about Decision to Leave. Uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to play a clip from the trailer and then we're going to talk about good or not good night, Oppie, but uh, we're going to talk about decision to leave. So here's a clip from the trailer and then I'm going to talk in non spoilers about decision to leave. So, Decision to Leave, I forgot to unmute, uh, unmute my mic. <laughs> Decision to Leave is directed by Park Chan-wook, who previously did The Handmaiden and Old Boy. I have not seen The Handmaiden, but I have seen his revenge trilogy with uh, Old Boy... Uh, Lady Vengeance and Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, I think. Uh, I think I got those right. But anyway, um, he also co-wrote it with Chung Soo Kyung, and it stars Park Hae, Park Hae Lee, Tang Wei, and uh, Lee Jong Hyun. And the plot summary, courtesy of IMDb, is a detective investigating a man's death in the mountains meets the dead man's mysterious wife in the course of his dogged sleuthing. Okay, so Decision to Leave kind of blew me away uh, quite a bit, honestly. I rated it, I think, four and a half stars. It is gonna, it is in contention for my top 10 of 2022 that I'll be unveiling in, um, uh, in January. But man, this movie was just gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous, stunning. Um, I put on Letterboxd my review was, I'll have to sit with this for a while, but it's wonderful. The quiet devastation in these two characters is as engrossing as it is haunting. The noir-heavy story mixes with the romance beautifully, and the ending brings the full picture of these two wayward characters into a shattered focus. Amazing. Um, wow, I'm, I'm kind of proud of that, honestly. <laughs> but... Um, but yeah, this movie was absolutely just devastating in such a like deep deeply rooted way because it 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 explores this weird like taboo attraction that the lead character the 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 detective has toward this widow. And throughout his investigation and everything, he it it kind of grows and he finds himself more and more uh, drawn to her. And as it, it's not like it's a, um, it's not like a forbidden romance, but it is intensely romantic in a very, very subtle and surprising way, really. It's, it just, it really, really is devastating. And it has this kind of, not triptych, but it has this, um, this level of 
respect or, or not respect, but um, this level of slow burn aspect to it where this first part, the first like half of the movie is all about uh, Heijun, the detective, him going through and putting the pieces together and finding himself so drawn toward uh, toward the widow whose name was Siure. And throughout that, throughout the course of that, we get like this incredibly beautifully meditative, um, depiction of his growing attraction. And it is such incredible storytelling. And I love the tagline, actually. The, the tagline is the closer you look, the harder you fall. That is beautiful. But as he gets more and more invested in it and, uh, invested in her and in his attraction to her, he realizes that he that she may have had something to do with with the death um which it's not like that's where the kind of neo noir aspect of it uh, aspect of the story goes but that's almost like secondary to everything else because it is more about this attraction that he feels toward her and then that she feels toward him. And it has this dividing part where the first like half is about his attraction to her. And then the second half is about her kind of attraction to him. And I'm not going to go into detail about what all of that means and what, um, and what that entails because I don't want to spoil anything, but it is just this clear, like deviation or line of demarcation, I should say, between these two characters that have this growing attraction between one another. And it has this fleeting aspect to it that is just very beautifully, beautifully portrayed. And what's amazing is that it's all amongst this backdrop of this dead man and in this mystery surrounding his death and everything. And it's not even a mystery heavy movie or anything. It's just, it's just the way it is. And it's just really immersive and engrossing. And I was really, really just into this movie. I was I, like, my attention was focused on it the entire time. And it has some of the most stunning cinematography I've seen this year. Uh, just all told like it is, it is absolutely gorgeous. Um, the way that Park Chan-wook moves the camera and the way that the camera focuses in on certain things and the, there's these like wide shots of like, there are scenes where, uh, where Heijun is running and chasing like suspects and, and things. And there are these just wide, wide shots. And throughout the whole time, he is also looking at, um, he's looking into a suspect and a murderer, and then he can't find the suspect and everything. And, uh, she eventually helps him to close some cases because he has like this shrine to all of his unsolved murders and everything on the wall. And she sees that as him causing like insomnia in him and everything and causing all of this. So they help each other out in unique ways. And then when we get those scenes, like those types of scenes that's kind of neo-noir action heavy kind of scenes where it's chasing people on foot, just the scope of it is so massive and so just big and wide angled. And it is, it is gorgeous, absolutely stunning. And then there's another, um, kind of flourish to the creativity in the movie where these characters are like when these scenes transition to other scenes and the scenes go like are depicting like, like a chase sequence where he's running after a person. Um, it's cross cut with him talking 
in voiceover to uh, to CEO Ray, who is is helping him with the investigation or helping him kind of get a better frame of mind into like the into what he needs to do and everything. In this overlapping thing, that's that's in voiceover. It's overlapping. It's edited to where we where he is he's getting the information. He's getting the idea to how to solve a case while we're seeing that play out. And it is just this really interesting editing technique where it's like it's overlapping the story in such a unique way, but it comes together in such a beautiful flourish that it just feels like it feels like it was really well connected in a way that I was not expecting it to be. And it just it felt like really almost it felt almost slightly disorienting at first, but then that kind of really, really lightened a bit as I kind of figured out like how he uh, was doing the story, how the how the movie was being told, how the story was being told, and everything. Um, yeah, okay. It was sympathy for Lady Vengeance and sympathy for Mister Vengeance. Those were the two. And Old Boy is his revenge trilogy. But anyway. Um, this movie just kind of blew me away. And when it gets to the ending, which again, I'm not going to spoil anything, but it is, it has this, it has this just stunningly poignant and heartbreaking kind of conclusion that feels like it is the perfect pin or perfect button on this just very bizarre and romantic story that shouldn't be romantic, but it is. And it is, it's, it's glorious. It's absolutely stunning. I, I really, really loved this movie and I wholeheartedly expect it to make my top 10. I don't know where it's going to land on my top 10, but I really think it's going to, uh, it's going to make the cut because this, this is a movie that just is so devastatingly beautiful and, uh, just absolutely wonderful. So anyway, that's Decision to Leave. Um, it's not available to stream anywhere. It is in, uh, I think, limited release or wide release now. I think it is playing at the CanCan if you're in Indianapolis. Um, but I think maybe the Living Room Theater has it as well. Um, but yeah, anyway, uh, that is Decision to Leave. Okay, and we're back. And uh, Sam, you didn't get around to seeing Decision to Leave. Was there? Is it? Was it just a time thing or did it not interest you or anything? Oh, I was interested. It nice. was just, it was just a time thing. I mean, yeah. I, I love Park Chan Wook. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm sure I'll see it eventually. It just, nice. uh, yeah, I, the last week or so before the meeting, I mm-hmm. planned to cram a bunch of movies and it just didn't happen. Yeah. Uh, such is life. Yeah. I, I had planned so many things and then, uh, I'm, I'm glad that I got what I got, but it, I could have done more. Um, so I totally get that. Um, but yeah, so that is decision to leave. And then, uh, now we're going to go to the next finalist, which I don't know how much I talked about this on Patreon, but it is Sarah Pauly's, uh, women talking, which I talked about briefly in my November, 2022 monthly first viewings and stats wrap up recording for the $10 Patreon, uh, supporters. So I'm going to go ahead and throw it to that. And then when we come back, we'll continue the list. Um, so women talking is directed by Sarah Polly, who it's funny because I, I think before this, I've really only seen one movie of hers and that movie is Take This Waltz, which is a movie that just deeply, deeply affected me. Like, I 
adore that movie. It is one of my favorites. I've watched it maybe twice and I'm scared to watch it again because the emotional, the emotional, uh, part of it is just like, it is so deeply tied to, uh, my emotions, my fears and everything. Um, it is, it is a very, very well done movie, including in, in which case it also has like an incredible sequence, uh, scored to, um, Leonard Cohen's take this waltz, um, at the end that just, that it's, it's a beautiful and haunting, um, summation of, of the movie and the story and everything up to that point. Very, very incredible movie. Loved it so much. And so now she did women talking, which is fine. It's about a group of women in a, um, religious like commune, um, who band together to vote on to whether or not they should leave or fight back against the men in, in the commune for, assaults and rapes that have been committed on them. And it is a lot of women talking and voting and a lot of uh, the movie has a lot of very, very big dramatic moments in dialogue, which is fine. But I think I kind of gave it the short shrift because I watched it kind of late at night and I wasn't really that into it. And I felt very, I feel like I didn't give it a fair shake and I should watch it again, but I like I I thought that there were some moving moments to it but for some for for a movie for a filmmaker who has previously like made me ball my eyes out weeping with Take This Waltz I was so surprised that I was just pretty much emotionally unaffected by women talking so I don't know your mileage may vary I thought it was very well done very well well photographed and well acted but the emotional resonance just wasn't there for me. Um, it's really interesting too. Like the cinematography is in the color, the color scheme of it is very, very dry and like washed out, I guess you would say. Um, the, it looks, it looks incredible. Um, but it just didn't really do much for me. Okay. And we're back and I can't bring us back without laughing because I'm a consummate professional. Um, but, uh, but yeah, but women talking was, was pretty good. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah, it was, it was fine. I I really like Sarah Pauly, but, um, I, I came away from women talking thinking that I should really probably give it another shot at some point. So yeah. Um, yeah. I'm going to be sort of unprofessional right now. Okay. Uh, my, my battery is on like, it's like lethally low. So okay. I'm going to, I'm going to plug in my charger, but, uh, <laughs> so while I'm doing that, just keep, just carry on. Okay, great. Uh, so yeah, so actually, um, yeah. Oh, oh my God. Now I don't know what to say. Okay. So let me go ahead and share my thoughts. I'm going to skip over, uh, the Top Gun Maverick one, and then we'll, we'll do that when, when Sam comes back. But I want to talk about, uh, Marcel the Shell with Shoes On, which, is a movie that is uh, directed by uh, Dean Fleischer Camp, and it is based on the um, YouTube um, sensation of Marcel the Shell with Shoes On. Uh, the um, it is it's basically the plot summary is feature adaptation of the animated short film interviewing a mollusk named Marcel, and 
This movie was, I didn't have anything on Patreon for it because I had fallen behind with uh, my Patreon potpourris and everything, but this movie just immediately jumped to the top of my top 10 list, as you'll see in my, in the uh, year in review episode and in the top 10 list that I'm publishing on obsessiveviewer.com uh, shortly. But Marcel the Shell with Shoes On is such a beautifully beautifully done story of grief and life and solitude and loss and just just finding the strength and finding strength in community and that's something that i was just taken by the entire time like i was bawling my eyes out during this movie it was it was absolutely just transcendent for me. And I like, I really, really liked the Marcel the Shell with Shoes on um, YouTube shorts. I really liked what I'd seen of them. And they were very cute, very fun, very, very funny. Jenny Slate does the voice of Marcel and she's phenomenal. But what I wasn't expecting was that the feature length adaptation, the feature length movie would have such an amazing heart to it and have such a level of of just endear endearing level or whatever i don't know have so much to say um yeah so it is it is on the top of my list that's marcel the shell with shoes on um it is it is it is absolutely just a beautiful beautiful movie and uh ben actually texted me today and said that because he's he loves Marcel the Shell with shoes on. He said um, he said just here just heard someone talking about Marcel the Shell and they compared it to the best of Mister Rogers and now I think I love it more. And I think that that is such an apt apt comparison. It is it's amazing. So anyway, that's Marcel the Shell with shoes on. Uh, Sam, you're back and you have not seen Marcel the Shell with shoes on. Um, is that one that you, uh, that is on your radar? Um, and if not, I think it should be, honestly, <laughs> I just, I just, I just uh, threw up a bunch of praise for it. Um, yeah, I really regret not watching mm. that before the IFJ meeting. Um, because obviously that won our best animated film of the mm -hmm. year. Um, uh, yeah, I will definitely catch up on that one uh Jin loves marcel the shell oh, um yeah. and she's shown me a few of the the short mm -hmm. films um she, so yeah i'll definitely yeah. get around to it i i promise you jen is going to just she's gonna love this movie <laughs> like it is uh like like i said um like I, I was, I was, I was bawling my eyes out. Like I was ugly crying throughout it. Like Jess had to get tissues for me and everything. And she was crying Aww. too. It was, it is such a beautiful movie. I, I just adore it. Um, yeah. Yep. Uh, so that is Marcel, the show with shoes on and our final finalist before going into the runner up and winner for this year's IFJ best film. Um, let's talk about Top Gun Maverick. Um, yeah, Top Gun Maverick is, uh, the sequel to Top Gun, uh, which I had, I, I rewatched, um, shortly before, 
uh, seeing Top Gun Maverick. And honestly, I wasn't a fan of Top Gun, which we'll talk about. But um, the plot summary for Top Gun Maverick is after 30 years, Maverick is still pushing an en- the envelope as a top naval aviator, but must confront ghosts of his past when he leads Top Gun's elite graduates on a mission that demands the ultimate sacrifice from those chosen to fly it. Uh, Sam, you are... Uh, an unabashed fan of everything 90s, the 90s aesthetic. So I know that you you love Top Gun and Top Gun Maverick did it for you. Um, let's talk about Top Gun Maverick and your feelings on Top Gun. Um, well, the original Top Gun is honestly pretty goofy. I mean, I love it. I, I kind of love its corniness. Um and you know it's it's macho energy uh mm-hmm. but you know it, it's pretty goofy so for top gun maverick to have as much emotional heft as it does is pretty incredible um like i i found myself multiple times getting choked up during it mm-hmm. and it's like i'm getting choked up by the the universe of top gun <laughs> yes um like you know i've said this um before but you know you're in the hands of master filmmakers mm-hmm. when you're watching a uh, a jet aerial action sequence and you find yourself getting like a lump in your throat. Yes. Um, just uh, Top Gun Maverick is just, it's really awe inspiring. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the aerial cinematography is groundbreaking and <clears throat> really inspiring to watch. Um, seeing it, seeing that at the state museum IMAX was just incredible. And, uh, just a great reminder of the magic of movies and, mm-hmm. and uh, I mean those actors are are really flying and um, you know I, I think some of them were trained to actually film within their cockpits God, that's amazing. Um, and uh, you know just that sort of um ground level work on a film is really inspiring in this mm-hmm. age of you know so much you know not to dismiss computer generated effects but um you know to see practical effects now is is uh really inspiring yeah. um especially since we both kind of grew up in you know, the age of action movies using practical effects. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, One of my, one of my favorite, one of my favorite movies growing up, and I haven't really talked about it on the podcast all that much, but, uh, Ron Howard's, uh, backdraft. Um, Oh yeah. That movie's awesome. Oh, I loved it. It was, it was amazing. So yeah, yeah, I totally, I, yeah, we are of that generation for sure. (laughs) Um, and, uh, like I've said before, Tom Cruise is just like an action god. Yes. Um, and uh, it's also a really sweet movie. I think it has a, mm-hmm. a great heart to it. Um, and it's just, 
uh, you know, I'm, uh, I think, uh, for that to be our sort of popcorn pick, I think that's mm-hmm. a, that's a great pick. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And what I, what I really, um, was impressed by with it in, in addition to everything else that, that you said, that was very well said. Um, I love the, the way that it, it shows a vulnerability of Maverick and that's something that it kind of feels like that's some, that's one case where like Tom Cruise, Tom Cruise has been just like Tom Cruise action star for the last several years. And this is like a level of kind of vulnerability and, and level of additional pathos to a role that he doesn't, hasn't really seemed that interested in taking on with like his mission impossible films or anything. Um, although there's some of that, there's, there's, there's plenty of that in there, but this is, this is something that just felt a lot more intimate, uh, uh, with his, with his acting and everything. And, um, it's, it's funny. You said that like getting choked up and getting emotional about uh, a Top Gun movie. That's, it's what is so wonderful to me is that I, when I rewatched the original Top Gun in preparation for Maverick, I like the one emotional moment in that movie that I'm going to spoil it, uh, where Goose dies. I didn't care. Um, <laughs> like I wasn't that big a fan of Top Gun and I felt like that was just a little bit like, okay, fine. I, I know it from pop culture. I remember it from when I saw it when I was a teenager or whenever, but it didn't really do anything for me when rewatching it. But I'll be damned if this movie doesn't just retroactively make me care deeply for just the characters in this in this story. And it's 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 really, really spectacular. I, I really liked it. That's a great way of saying what I was struggling to say, which <laughs> is it, it, it retroactively mm. makes you care for these characters. Yeah. I mean, there's a sequence early on where Tom Cruise's character, um, Maverick, is trying to reach some insane speed with uh, a certain type of jet. Mm-hmm. And um, he's like passing out and he's yeah. like up and up in the stratosphere. And he says, uh, you know, talk to me, Goose. Mm-hmm. And I was like getting choked up. And I was like, but I didn't even care about Goose dying. <laughs> yeah. um, I was like, why am I like crying right now? <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, it's I mean, that's quite a feat to make mm-hmm. you like kind of nostalgic for a movie that is and, you know, uh, to make you nostalgic and, and, and sort of misty eyed for mm-hmm. a movie that, um, is pretty goofy. I mean, yeah. <laughs> um, it, uh, yeah, I, I just, I love Top Gun Maverick. Me too. I need to rewatch it. Cause I only saw it the one time in the theater, but it is, it's amazing. And it'll, I think it'll tide me over really well until, uh, until mission impossible comes out next, next year. Um, yeah, it's, it's fantastic. Um, so those are the finalists, uh, according to the IFGA as voted on by the Indian Film Journal Association. Uh, I'll run them down again. We have Tar, After Yang, Glass Onion, The Banshees of Inishirin, Decision to Leave, Women Talking, Top Gun Maverick, and Marcel the Shell with Shoes On. Now, Sam, 
we uh, at the IFJ have a runner-up for best film and a winner. Uh, would you like to talk about our runner-up for best film of 2022? Yes, please. All right. So the runner-up for best film is uh, RRR, which is uh, the plot summary courtesy of IMDb, is a fictitious story about two legendary revolutionaries and their journey away from home before they started fighting for their country in the 1920s. This is directed by S.S. Uh, Rajamuli. I apologize, apologize if I mispronounce that at all, but um, this is a this is a an in uh, an Indian action film that runs three hours long, and the entire time I think my jaw was just on the floor throughout the entirety of the of the movie. Um, how did you feel about RRR, Sam? It's just an embarrassment of riches. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the movie, you know, you you think that it is at several points as awe inspiring as it can possibly be, and mm-hmm. then it tops, and then it tops itself. Yep. Um, again and again, um, with these just incredible action sequences. Uh, there's also a really awesome dance number. Yes. Um, and you know, I've heard some people say that it's corny and, uh, you really need to buy into the fact that it's basically an opera. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's, you know, it's epic and it's big and it's, you know, it's kind of unabashedly, um, operatic mm-hmm. and, um, uh, you know, <laughs> at one point, if I remember correctly, there's an action sequence where, there's like uh, tigers and motorcycles <laughs> yes. involved, and it's like, how awesome is that? Oh yeah, um, and it's also a really sweet uh, sort of bromance. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, the uh, the action wouldn't be as compelling if if the characters weren't so engaging. Yeah. Um, and we watched this as part of a uh, an an annual film festival that some of the IFGA members do called the Fuck Yeah Film Fest. <laughs> yes. It, if any movie uh, uh, makes you shout Fuck Yeah, it's it's definitely <laughs> yes. RRR. And it was the it was the last movie we watched that day, and it was it was it was amazing. Just that I I would I, like my mouth was agape the entire time, and like. I put in my letterbox review as as kind of probably hokey as it sounds and everything, but like my kind of like letterbox blurb was that um, every year there's a movie with like one or two just incredible action sequences that that stand out uh, stand out of, among the pack of every action film of the year, and RRR is like a three hour just compilation of those action scenes (laughs) like it is it is just on an entirely different level and it is just so so badass so awesome and oh it was it was such such a blast i i absolutely loved it um yeah yeah it was so cool and getting to see it with you guys was a lot of fun too oh yeah yeah 
yeah, so that's the runner-up for Best Film of 2022, as voted on by the IFJA. I talked about it in my uh, July 2022 monthly first viewings and stats on Patreon at the $10 level, so check that out if you want to support the show. And... Yes. So now, Sam, shall we go ahead and unveil the winner that has already been announced on all social medias and everything because the IFJA announced our awards like two weeks ago? Um, (laughs) The winner of the best film of 2022, as voted on by the Indiana Film Journalists Association. Are you ready, Sam? Hell yeah. Okay, awesome. It is uh, the Daniels's. Um, everything, everywhere, all at once in the plot summary, courtesy of IMDb is an aging Chinese American, or I'm sorry, an aging Chinese immigrant is swept up in an insane adventure in which she alone can save the world by exploring other universes connecting with the lives she could have led. This movie is another just bonkers, insane level of, uh, high concept and choreography action with this amazing sense of humor that runs throughout it. Like the, the award sequence, the, the trophy thing, uh, I'll be vague, but that just stands out in my mind as being just incredibly clever and silly. And the, um, the whole, like, there, there are things, I could say sentences that would make no sense to someone who has not seen this movie, like, hot dog fingers are amazing, and the whole sequence of rocks, of sentient rocks was amazing, and there's a running thing throughout the movie that ties back to, um, uh, the, the song, uh, Story of a Girl, um, that it's, just, all of it, it is just so, so great, so, yeah, Everything Everywhere All at Once is the best movie of 2022 per the IFGA voting. Sam, you watched this uh, shortly before uh, the deadline for nominations and everything. And uh, yeah, how did you, how, uh, how has it sat with you? I know that you weren't, uh, you weren't as hot on it as you would hope to be. Um, yeah, how, how do you feel about it? Um. First, I think it's a great, uh, you know, that this film and RRR make for a great sort of pairing mm-hmm. um, in terms of their epic quality and, and their level of ambition. Um, I watched this uh, the day before our awards deliberation meeting which mm-hmm. I feel like put me at a bit of a disadvantage. I feel like I was a little preoccupied. Um, I was kind of nervous about, you know, trying to catch up on everything everywhere all at once. <laughs> um, uh, uh, so it didn't hit me quite as hard as it, it seemed to work for you guys. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I did enjoy it very much. I, I think it's a very good movie i i i i I wasn't quite as bowled over by it um uh to me it it um you know i definitely respect its uh um ambition Mm -hmm. i feel like it, it kind of repeated itself a lot um and i mean uh you know I get the the necessity of doing that in a movie 
that takes place in a universe that has a lot of rules and mm-hmm. you know i understand you know kind of the necessity of the the repetition but i, I feel like it, it it's themes were kind of hammered home a little bit um but there was a lot i enjoyed i mean mm-hmm. you can't uh you can't complain too much about a movie that uh gets you choked up with a sequence of rocks talking to each other i mean that's, <laughs> yes that's that's quite a feat absolutely um, and uh michelle yo is great mm. you know you can you can really feel the weight of of her regret and and kind of the weight of all these choices she made with her life um i thought uh uh, the actress who plays her daughter was great. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she too made you feel this kind of lifelong weight of uh, the pressure her mother uh, uh, put on her. And mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, I thought it was just, it had great acting across the board um, I think it's a great group pick for us as, yeah. as the IFJA. Uh, but this probably, I mean, this wouldn't be in my top 10. Um, that's fair. Um, I, I, I liked it very much. I, mm-hmm. I don't know if I really loved it. I, I did, uh, vote for it in several categories. Nice. Um, just because I wanted to, you know, see it represented and, and oh I, yeah. I feel like voting against it was kind of pointless given the the popularity of it within the group. Yeah. Um, but, um, uh, yeah, I would say that that kind of wraps up my (laughs) feelings on it. Nice. Um, yeah. And it's also, uh, uh, worth, worth mentioning. We, I believe we gave the supporting performance, um, either runner-up or win to uh, Ki-Hu Kwan, um, who uh, played Short Round in Temple of Doom um, and is now uh, having his own little uh, uh, renaissance in his career. So with with everything everywhere all at once. And he was great in the movie. Um, Yeah. Um, So, yeah. So any other thoughts on, on the IFGA uh awards in general and uh and in the list uh of t- of 10 best films from 2022 no i um i you know i think it's a great list um i i feel like it uh it's an eclectic list with uh you know a lot of diverse stories and voices in there um mm-hmm. and uh yeah, I, um, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with it. I do need to catch nice. up on a lot of it, which is mm-hmm. kind of embarrassing, but <laughs> you're fine. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm eager to hear your thoughts on, on, uh, a fair amount of them that, that you haven't seen. Um, uh, I really, I'm very curious what you'll think of glass onion in particular, but yeah, I will keep you posted. I'm definitely going to watch it soon. Nice. Nice. Um, well, before we go, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of, uh, wind us down a little bit, um, because I've stolen enough of your evening. Um, but before we go, what, uh, kind of off the top of your head, what are some movies from 2023 that you're looking forward to? Um, or that, that you're excited about going into the new year? 
Uh, let's see. Um, I am excited about the the new Scorsese film, uh, Killers of the Flower Moon. Yep. Um, uh, Brendan Fraser uh, apparently plays the I, sort of villain in that. I forgot that he's in it. That's awesome. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm definitely excited about that. Mm-hmm. Um, shit, man. What else is coming out? <laughs> well, we've um, got. The one that I'm most, I don't even know if I'd say most excited about, but I'm very excited. Well, yeah, most excited about is Scream 6. I'm very excited for that. Oh, duh, Scream 6. (laughs) Yep. Um, Yeah, I can't wait for that. Yeah. Uh, And that comes out pretty soon, right? Yeah, I think March 10th. Yep. Oh, it's not that soon. Yeah, no, Um, it'll be sooner. Sooner than you think. (laughs) um, I love the concept of Ghostface in New York. Me too. Um, That train sequence from the teaser trailer is great. Oh, yeah. Um, I love the the sort of fun design of the title that uh, (laughs) highlights six. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, I I can't wait. That'll be fun. Yeah, me too. I I'm just I'm still just so impressed that um that they pulled off Scream Five so well. I mean, that's it's it, it's it's the movie I've watched the most times in 2022. Um, I've yeah, I'm not gonna say how many, but um, but yeah, it's I've rewatched it several times. It is just a glorious movie, and um. I can't wait for Scream 6. I really can't. Um, I'm looking at a list of 2023 movies that I have privated on uh, my Letterboxd, but I'm just going to run down a couple. Um, We talked a lot about practical effects, and even though I'm kind of uh, a little bit cold on Nolan as a director, I'm very curious what uh, Oppenheimer is going to look like and how that's going to play. Um Duh, Oppenheimer. I I don't know why I forgot all of these. Yeah. Um, I did put you on the spot here, so <laughs> yeah i I was really impressed with the latest trailer for mm-hmm. that. Um, and yeah. Oh, and speaking of practical effects, um, yeah, I think the ex- there's there's an explosion sequence done mm-hmm. without CGI, which sounds uh, pretty incredible. Oh yeah. Um, it's also just, uh, you know, an interesting story. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know much about Oppenheimer or me neither. Really, the the origin of the atomic bomb. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I'm curious to see that. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, a few other th- titles I'll throw out are um, Dune Part Two. Excited about that. Um, cocaine bear looks fun and interesting. Um, uh, yeah. And, uh, speaking of practical effects, um, I don't, it's not (laughs) practical effects. Um, (laughs) uh, how do you feel about Indiana Jones in the dial of destiny also? Oh, um, I'm excited for it. Mm. Uh, I, I hope this is the last one. Mm -hmm. Um, Harrison Ford's getting a little little long in the tooth for it. Yeah. Um, there's a funny meme going around that says something like, uh, you know, him uh, refusing to retire as a history professor is the most <laughs> accurate 
thing about that movie or something <laughs> nice. um, or that franchise yeah um, but uh yeah um the effects look a uh, little little shoddy yeah i'm curious um, if they're finished maybe yeah like maybe they're just not finished so hopefully they look better in the finished product but yeah um and this is this one is not directed by Spielberg. This is James Mangold. Correct. Okay. Um he's an interesting filmmaker. I'm yeah. curious what, what he'll do with it. Mm-hmm. Um I love yeah. his Twitter presence in terms of his response to people um theorizing or spreading rumors and stuff. It's it's kind of a treat to see him kind of take them down, but We'll see what he does with the finished product. Hopefully it's good. Um, yeah. And then the final two ones, I don't remember if I said this or not, but Creed three, um, uh, Michael B. Jordan's directorial debut there. Um, I'm excited for that, uh, judging from the trailer. And then I don't know if this is even coming out in 2023. It says that it is, but, oh, I just realized who dire- who's directing it. Oh, that's a, that's a bummer. Uh, Gran Turismo. Um, <laughs> Directed by Neil Blomkamp. Um, Gran Turismo is a very fun, interesting, immaculately detailed video game franchise on PlayStation. And I'm very curious what a movie version of that is going to look like. Um, The plot summary on Letterboxd is the ultimate wish fulfillment tale of a teenage Gran Turismo player whose gaming skills won him a series of Nissan competitions to become an actual professional race car driver. Um, So I don't know what it's going to look like, but uh, I think it could be interesting. But but yeah, but that's that's what I got for 2023. Um, Sam, any any other thoughts before we wind down for the evening? I just remembered that I think um, the Crow reboot is coming out next year. Oh, interesting. Okay. I, I think hmm. um, Bill Skarsgård is playing Eric Draven. The Crow is oh. one of my all-time favorite movies, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm kind of cautiously optimistic about the reboot. Um, yeah. uh, interesting. Mostly because the Crow is so perfectly '90s that I yeah. I feel like it should really just be left alone. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like it kind of belongs in that era. Um, but, uh, you know, I will obviously be first in line to see the (laughs) reboot. Nice. Um, so yeah, that's about it. Uh, yeah. Nice. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Sam, for joining me to count down the best films of the year, according to the IFJA. Um, And for everyone listening, you can find links to Sam's work in the show notes of this episode, which can also be found at obsessiveviewer.com slash OV387. Like I said, at the top of the episode, he wrote a great review of The Whale. He also has reviews of The Fablemans, A Christmas Story Christmas, Tar, um, and a bunch of other stuff over on Midwest Film Journal. And you can follow him on Letterboxd at Sam Movie Man. Uh, Sam, thanks again, man. This is obviously, it's it's such a treat to get to talk to you and everything anytime, but it's great to be able to record it. <laughs> 
Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, ditto. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Thanks for having me on. It's always fun. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, anytime. So I'm going to go ahead and start playing us out. Um, my top 10 list is going to be on obsessiveviewer.com. It'll be, the link will be in the show notes here, probably. Um, but uh, we're going to take a couple of weeks off from the podcast uh, as Mike, Tiny, and I put together our year in review episode which should be coming out mid-january so uh hope you guys are having a very happy holidays merry christmas happy new year and we'll see you in 2023 and now enjoy this short clip from our patreon exclusive rss feed for the full clip and more exclusive patreon content such as early access to episodes TV, book, and movie reviews and reaction recordings, commentary tracks, and Patreon poopery episodes, go to patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer and become a patron at the minimum rate of $1 per month. Thank you and enjoy. Have you seen When Harry Met Sally? Oh, yeah. Classic. Yeah. Of course. I I was just thinking, like, you seem like a When Harry Met Sally kind of guy. So. I take that as a high compliment. I mean it as a high compliment. I love that movie. <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, that movie's lovely. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. Um, that makes me want to... Maybe I'll watch some rom-coms over my holiday break. Hell yeah. Hell they're just yeah. so pleasant. They are. And even when they're like the most formula- formulaic thing in the world, like it's still... It's that comfort food thing. It is that comfort... Yeah. Um, and it's di- like there are different types of movies that give me comfort too. Like I, I love a good horror movie or a good like action movie, um, and everything. But there's something about rom coms where like the stakes are always spectacularly low, and the the formula is so spectacularly obvious that it's just so like like I was when I was watching um, How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days. I I flirted with the idea of tweeting this, but I didn't end up tweeting it. But um, when it got to about, you know, the the final, like the third act, the big the big uh, show of um, of uh, like romantic gesture and everything, uh, when it got to that moment, I almost like tweeted and put something stupid like, you know, nothing gives me more vigor in a uh, when I'm working from home than um, than the moment in a rom-com where. Uh, <laughs> where the man is chasing after the woman and, and he's racing to get to the airport r- before she takes off and it's scored to the gin blossoms. Um, <laughs> and like, I hadn't seen How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. And like that scene, I mean, granted, I typed it or I thought of that when it was happening. So I knew the gin blossoms were were to that scene. But like, I was I was like, oh my God, this is before he's even like going to the airport. And I'm like, oh my God, I, I called it. But he didn't actually go to the airport. It was a whole thing. But anyway... Um, what Gin Blossom song is it? Um, oh God, what was their big one? This podcast was edited and produced by Matt Hurt and presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. You can find links to all of our shows at ObsessiveViewer.com slash podcasts. For exclusive bonus content, including reviews, commentaries, and B-roll episodes, you can subscribe to our Patreon at Patreon.com slash ObsessiveViewer. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.